Well, we are at our last Sunday in our single series, and we're going to talk about what to do while you're waiting for your knight in shining armor to come by and sweep you off your feet. So uh, that's what we're going to talk about this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, a chapter that we've gone through several times, and we'll be looking again at this morning. Marriage in our culture, I think especially among Christians who want to glorify God, can be kind of um, a trial. And uh, it's a trial because a single person, once they discover, you know, I don't have the gift of singleness and, you know, Paul says, get married and, um, you know, I, I probably should find somebody, then, you know, that's that's where the real difficulty comes into play. Sometimes you just meet somebody and, you know, there's a whirlwind romance and three months later you're married. But that a lot of times doesn't happen for everybody. It just happens a little bit different in in everybody's case. But uh, you know, you might realize that uh, you don't have the gift of singleness and that's okay. It's okay if you, uh, you know, realize I need to get married. But the question is, how do you, how do you get that person and what do you do while you're waiting for them? And so we've talked about how to get the person um, in a previous message, what, how to go about finding the right person first by being the right person. We've talked all about that. And uh, it, some of the things that make it difficult to find um, you know, a husband or a wife uh, in uh, our culture is uh, that singles get to choose. And you think, well, why does that make it difficult? Because a lot of singles have unrealistic criteria. That's why. You know, the guy's looking for the supermodel uh, who's super godly. Well, first of all, those women, you know, aren't even real. They touch them up with an airbrush. And the few that kind of look that way are usually not very godly. And so you have to, you know, you're looking for a needle in a haystack. And if you aren't all that swell, even if you found one, she may not be willing to settle for you. So all of these things begin to create a little a little difficulty in that you're looking for the right person and then maybe you find somebody that looks good on the exterior, but they don't think you're the right person. And these are the kinds of things that plague people. Guys are so caught up in physical appearances that sometimes, you know, they just are unrealistic. They don't realize that, you know, pretty soon you get old and wrinkly anyways, that uh, you don't fall in love with somebody because of their exterior, um, but because of their heart and who they are as a person. And uh, yet our culture is so obsessed with bodies and looks and beauty and, you know, the square jawed guy riding off into sunset that a lot of times there's these unrealistic expectations that kind of keep people just waiting and waiting and this kind of holding pattern circling the airport of marriage but never landing. Less noble expectations would be maybe uh, somebody needs to have a certain kind of job. Or uh, they need to make a certain amount of money or have a certain connections or fame or popularity or possessions or something. There's, you know, something that they have to have. And we can kind of just heap on to our expectations for somebody uh, so many things that really the, the possibility of us getting somebody that we want is zero. You know, we're just not going to get anybody. Uh, and then on top of this, there is uh, biblical criteria. You know, you don't want to um, marry somebody who's ungodly. If you're a godly person, uh, you, you want somebody who loves the Lord, who's serving, who's pursuing uh, Christ and the fear of God. And not only that, um, you want, um, you know, if you're going to be a pastor, a wife who 
wants to be a pastor's wife. I mean, if you want to go into the ministry and be a pastor, you don't want a woman who says, I'll never be a pastor's wife. That wouldn't be good. Or if you want to be a missionary and, you know, you want to serve and, uh, you know, I don't know, the Sahara Desert, um, you, some women might not want to go there. And uh, so you have to make sure that, you know, they fit in with the biblical criteria and biblical wisdom also. Another thing is that in our culture, the women wait for the guys to come around, at least in uh, in more Christian circles. Uh, the women usually have a, a little bit more um, self-control there. And so they kind of just are waiting, waiting for some guy to notice them. You know, and a lot of times no one's noticing or it doesn't seem like they're noticing and no one's asking them out and no one's pursuing them. And so what do you do? Um, you wait and you wait. And so some women are waiting and uh, nothing's happening, it seems. And and uh, they can be sorely tempted tempted to be discontent, to complain, to get the old maid syndrome, and uh, really to be caught up in this whole idea of waiting. And sometimes when somebody does come along, they're not worth saying yes to. And then you wait some more. So what about the time when you're single? Whether you know you have the gift of singleness, you're going to stay that way, or at least you think you're going to stay that way. Or you know you don't have the gift of singleness, but you're single now and you may be single for who knows how long. What do you do during that time while you're waiting for your knight in shining armor or your princess to, uh, you know, let down her beautiful golden hair? What do you do? What do you do? And that's what we want to talk about this morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 7 as Paul addresses these things in some detail. Uh, you know, we, the culture a lot of times presents singleness as kind of a unfortunate place to be. You, know, you read a lot of literature, you read comments in the newspaper, things like that. It's like, oh, you're single. Like, you know, you aren't good enough to get married or um, you have that disease and I hope you get the cure. Um, and even married people can be very insensitive and go, Hey, you know, when are you going to get a boyfriend? When are you going to get married? And parents are harping on their, you know, kids, you know, get married. We want some grandchildren in here, you know? And a lot of times it's like, well, I'd like to, you know, um, no one's, it's not happening yet. And so there's a lot of pressures. And I think sometimes singles kind of can be looked down on as the lesser, the diseased, the uh, afflicted and the poor people who need to cope with the problem of their singleness. But the problem is, is that marriage is more of a problem than singleness. And Paul's going to teach us that this morning. Singleness is a great state to be in, is what we're going to learn. We've already learned a little bit. We're going to learn a little bit more. That singleness is this huge blessing from God. And it's nothing to be coped with. It's not a disease. It's not an affliction. It's not a lesser state of holiness. It's a great thing. And so as we look at this text, Paul is dealing with all these issues. There is an overarching theme that we're going to see as we go through the passage. And that overarching theme is, whether you're married or single, serve the Lord. We're going to see that from beginning to end. But 
as he tries to present and walk the fine line of, if you're single, it's okay to stay single. But if you don't have the gift, it's okay to get married. But if you can't find a buddy, it's okay to stay single. But if you get married, you haven't sinned. But if you get married, you're going to have troubles. But yet, that doesn't mean don't get married. I mean, he keeps trying to go back and forth to let everybody know that marriage is okay and singleness is okay. But there are some things that need to be considered. And no matter what you do, you need to serve the Lord. And so why don't you follow along in your Bibles as I read verses 25 through 35 of 1 Corinthians 7. Paul writes, now concerning virgins, I have no command of the Lord, but I give an opinion as one who by the mercy of the Lord is trustworthy. I think then that it is good in view of the present distress that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be released. Are you released from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Yet such will have trouble in this life. And I'm trying to spare you. But this, I say, brethren, the time has been shortened so that from now on, those who have wives should be as though they had none. And those who weep as though they did not weep. And those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. And those who buy as though they did not possess. And those who use the world as though... They did not make full use of it for the form of this world is passing away. But I want you to be free from concern. The one who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord and how he may please the Lord. But the one who is married is concerned about the things of the world and how he may please his wife and his interests are divided. The woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord that she may be holy both in body and spirit. But the one who is married is concerned about the things of the world and how she may please her husband. This I say for your own benefit, not to put a restraint upon you, but to promote what is appropriate and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. This is a this is a fun passage. Now, obviously, this is a big passage. And, uh, you know, usually I don't pick passages this big. But since we've covered a lot of this, um, we're going to move through at a pretty rapid rate. And I think you, I, I want to kind of give you the big picture. Uh, I just want to point out four realities that every single must keep in mind. And so they can maintain contentment in their singleness so that if they do decide to get married, they have weighed the the, the pros and cons. And so if they find themselves married, they will still serve the Lord. And so that whether you're single or married, um, you will have that undistracted devotion to the Lord. Now, the first thing we see in the text is that singleness is fine. Look at verse 25. Now, concerning virgins, I have no command of the Lord, but I give my opinion as one who by the mercy of the Lord is trustworthy. Now, what's Paul saying here? No command of the Lord. Is he saying, well, right now I'm not inspired. And this little verse, this little section here is not an inspired thing. I'm just kind of giving you my opinion. I know it, you know, it's going to appear in your Bible, but take it or leave it. It's not of the Lord. Well, no, he's not saying that. Um, in this section, Paul frequently refers to Jesus's teaching in Matthew five and Matthew 19. And some of these teachings of Jesus in the gospel that Jesus taught about divorce and remarriage. The problem is Jesus never really talked about whether or not people should get married or not. And so when he says, now concerning the things I have no command of the Lord, what he's saying is, is I don't have any specific command to give you from the teaching of Jesus, but I am an apostle and I am inspired and I am going to give you authoritative instruction. It's just not from Jesus's teaching. 
it's from my own because he's been referring to Jesus all the way through the passage. Then he talks, he's talking about virgins, which is a feminine noun. And in some texts, it's used of, of women who have never been married and who have maintained moral purity. Here, it's just talking about men and women who have maintained moral purity and aren't married. We can see that as we move on. I'll show you in a little bit. The ESV, the English Standard Version, doesn't do a good job translating this word virgin by translating it betrothed. That's not what it means. Um, in that culture, there were, uh, among the Jews, you could be a virgin, an unmarried person, divorced, widowed, having come from an immoral lifestyle that would be unmarried, or you could be betrothed, which is kind of one of those people who's betrothed to another person. Now, the English Standard Version um, tried to make a contrast here between virgins and unmarried. So they, they kind of made this category betrothed or engaged. And we'll see why that doesn't work as we get down when it appears again. But I just want you to know that's not a good translation. When Paul says, I have no command of the Lord, but I am one who speaks trustworthily. He's going to give now inspired instruction from the Holy Spirit. So this is still important. And so still listen up. Look at verse 26. I think then that it is good in the view of the present distress is good for a man to remain as he is. Now, what is this um, a present distress? Well, the first thing I want to point out is notice he says that a man remain as he is. And he's just talking about virgins. And so he's including virgins in this discussion here. So he's talking about men and women. But when he says the present distress, what is that? Well, you could say, well, maybe it's like something happening in Corinth, but I think it's just happening in Christianity at that time in general. Uh, I think it's happened to Christianity ever since then. Whenever the church is very aggressive, whenever the church begins to evangelize, share the gospel, preach the truth, what happens? There's persecution. I mean, isn't that what Jesus said in, uh, in John chapter 16, verse 33? He said, in the world, you will have trouble. In the world, you will have trouble. He, Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, he says, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be what? Persecuted. I mean, you're going you're gonna to face it. You're going to be persecuted and you're going to face trial and it just happens. If you're a Christian and you're in a society that hates God and you start evangelizing, you can expect repercussions. And, of course, in the first century, not only were all the pagan nations attacking Christianity because they only believed in one God and wouldn't worship their false gods, the Jews who believed in one God were also persecuting them because they were claiming that Jesus was the Messiah and they didn't want to come to grips with the fact that they had crucified their own Messiah. And so what happened was, is in this culture in this first century the church is brand new and it's experiencing all of this pressure and paul is just saying listen in view of the present distress it's good for a man to remain as he is now are you are you married well don't think that oh no i got to get a divorce because it's a time of distress distress or are you single oh I should get married because it's a time of distress. It has nothing to do with it. He says, don't, don't think that some, being married or not being married is somehow going to make the trial go away. The persecution doesn't go away when you're married. Now, he's going to go on to explain some of the issues involved when you're married and you're persecuted. But he's just trying to say, listen, don't let anybody tell you that 
either marriage or singleness is somehow a better state that will relieve you of this distress that you are experiencing. And I think which all Christians experience to one degree or another who are pursuing the Lord. Look at verses seven and eight. Paul says, yet I wish that all men were even as I myself am. Now, how was Paul? He was single. Paul says, listen, I wish everybody was like me. You know what I do? I just leave. I just go from place to place. I preach. I get stoned. I get whipped. I get beat up. I get cast outside the city. I keep preaching. I keep preaching. Shipwrecked, you know. I keep preaching. I keep preaching. You know, if I die, I don't have a wife I'm worrying about. I don't have a bunch of kids I'm worrying about. I'm just going for it, man. I'm a single and I'm going for it. And I wish everybody was like me. That's all he's saying. However, he says, each man has his own gift from God. You know, not not everybody can handle that. Some people go, I, I, I need to get married. And he has already said, listen, if you don't have the gift of singleness, get married. He's already given that command earlier in the passage. But he says, I say to the unmarried and to the widows that it is good for them if they remain even I. So not only is it, is it okay for the virgins not to get married, but even if you've been previously married and divorced or previously married and widowed, it's still okay not to get married. Don't feel compelled to get married. So now in this section, he's just dealing with those who are trying to force people into a certain direction because they're saying it's going to make the persecution go away or it's going to be some sort of panacea to the afflictions that are coming upon them. He says, no, no, no. He also says uh, uh, down in verse uh, 17, only as the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has called to each in this manner, let him walk. And so I direct all the churches. So we've got this very clear instruction, very clear exhortation that Christians need to be in that in whatever state they choose to be in, but be content and not to think that the distresses that come upon singles are going to be removed because of marriage. You know, if you, if you were saying, well, I, I, I burn with passion, you know, and so I need to get married. Well, you're still going to do it after you get married. It doesn't, it's not a fix. It's not a, like an absolute cure. And, uh, and you think, well, you know, I'm getting persecuted. Maybe I should be single. Well, you can be persecuted as single too. You know, marriage isn't getting a divorce isn't the answer. So he just wants to say, don't feel ashamed about being single. Single is fine. Enjoy your singleness. Serve the Lord in your singleness. But whatever you do, don't think you have to get married or if you're divorced, you have to or married, you have to get divorced in order to be single because it's some better state. Singleness is great. And we'll see why it is a little bit more later. Secondly, being married is fine. Not only is singleness fine, being married is fine. Look at verse 27. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be released. It's great. Don't go say, well, listen, we're we're heading into distressing times. Wife, I'm dumping you. (laughs) We can't be married. We might be persecuted and I won't have to worry about you. So if I divorce you, then I won't have to worry about you because you won't be my wife anymore. Now that is just, that is ridiculous. And when Paul says, are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be released. Bound is that binding covenant of marriage. And to be released is to either have them die or to divorce. So you, you are dissolve the marriage. Turn, turn over to Romans chapter seven. I'll just show you an example of this. Paul uses marriage when he's discussing the law and the Christian being freed from the law. Um, he uses marriage as an example, but he uses these same two terms, bound and released here, and it's a little bit clearer. 
He says in Romans chapter 7, verse 1, Or do you not know, brethren, for I am speaking of those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives. For the unmarried woman is bound by law to her husband while he is living. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law concerning the husband. So then, if while her husband is living, she is joined to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law so that she is not under, not an adulteress, though she is joined to another man. So here you have these terms to be bound. The beginning of verse two, a married woman is bound by the law to her husband as live. But if her husband dies, she is released. So the whole idea that Paul is saying here, listen, you bound a wife. Don't try and be released. Okay, don't divorce her. Don't kill her. Don't abandon her. Don't do anything like that. Um, That would be an ungodly thing. Marriage is a great state to be in. Enjoy your marriage. Now, Paul also says, look at the middle of verse 27. Are you released from a wife? So, you know, maybe you're a widower. Maybe you've been divorced. Um, Do not seek a wife. Now, Paul is not saying, listen, if you've ever been divorced or widowed, do not get remarried. Now, there are some instances where if you've been divorced and had an unbiblical divorce, you can't get remarried as a Christian. And if you come next week, we'll talk about that. But the point is, is that don't think that you have to get remarried. It's like, listen, you were once married. You better get remarried again right away. Hurry. Obviously, you didn't have the gift of singleness. If you didn't have it then, you don't have it now. So get married now. Okay. Um, you know, it might be that, you know, you're 88 years old. And you say, listen, I can't chase any filly anymore. I'm too slow. And uh, I just couldn't do it. I don't think I could walk the aisle without my walker. It's just not working. So, you know, that's okay. You don't have to feel any pressure to get remarried again. And then he says in verse 28, but if you marry, you've not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. So notice he says, do not seek a wife. And he's not saying never get remarried. How do we know that? Because in the very next verse, but if you married, you haven't sinned. See, he's just trying to say it's okay. It's okay if you do one thing. It's okay if you do the other thing. Don't let anybody put any pressure on you. Think that it's a cure for something. It's not curing anything. It's just a personal choice that you can make to decide whether you want to be single or married. And you haven't sinned if you've done it. Again, the English Standard Version uh, uh, translates virgins here, betrothed. But again, it's not necessary. They're trying to make a distinction between those who are unmarried and those who um, are uh, betrothed. But that's not where the distinction is. The distinction is between those who are virgins who have never engaged in immorality and those who have and or who have been divorced or widowed. Those betrothed or engage would be included, but the term virgin doesn't mean betrothed. Bottom line, marriage is fine. Marriage is good. Marriage is great. Get married, have kids, go to soccer games. It's okay. It's okay. But marriage does have responsibilities with it. And you need to make sure you realize that before you commit, before God and witnesses to love that person until death because there's some... Some issues involved there. Sometimes people aren't very easy to love. And uh, sometimes because we're sinners, we have difficulty getting along. And so 
That's why Paul says what he does in the middle of verse 28. Look there, yet such will have trouble in this life, and I'm trying to spare you. He says, listen, I know you can get married, but you know what the husband and our wife or a child or two or three or four or five or six or seven or eight or nine or ten, um, you know, we're talking some problems here. We're talking some trials that come along. Because, you know, when you're single, you don't have to worry about a lot of things. But as soon as you get married, all of a sudden you have to, as a husband, you have to obey all those commands to love your wife. You still have to love her and cherish her and nurture her and grant her honor and live with her as a weaker, treat her as a weaker vessel and live with her in an understanding way and give yourself up for her. All the, not be embittered against her. All those commands to husbands, you have to all of a sudden instantly be accountable to God for. You're a wife. You have to respect and love and honor and submit to your husband, even if he's disobedient to the Lord, the word, and even as unto the Lord. Uh huh. You have to help him and you have to encourage him. And then children come along. You your guy. You got to do all the dad stuff. Your mom got all the mom stuff, and so it starts mounting up. You commit to marriage. You're committing to a whole bunch of things. Which a single person, they just go play. Like, yeah, let's go down to church and let's dink around and serve someplace and go here or go there. And everybody's, you know, thinking, well, that, that, that sounds easier. There you go. I'm trying to spare you, Paul says. I'm trying to spare you. You think about all those times when Paul was out there making tents and saw those dads and moms trying to deal with the little rugrats. Come here. Don't do that. And Paul's going, I love my tent making. You know, it's just like, yeah. All those things come with marriage. It's not just a, uh, just like this really fun, romantic cure-all type relationship that you enjoy and there's nothing else involved. Oh, it comes with the whole package. An instruction book the size of a phone book that goes with it. And so in perilous times, Paul says, listen, I'm concerned. I'm concerned and I'm trying to spare you some grief here. Because in perilous times, um, it can be very difficult. And you can imagine if you're being persecuted and Christians are dying for their faith, how much more difficult it would be if you were married and married with children. In... uh, the year 203, so this is about a 100 years after the Apostle John died in Carthage, a young mother named Perpetua had come to the Lord. The problem is, is that the emperor there, Emperor Septimus Severus, who has reigned from 193 to 211, said that there could be no new converts to Christianity. Well, Christians share their faith and people come to Christ. You know, you can't stop it. So... uh Perpetua, along with some other friends, had come to Christ and they were in prison. The problem is, is she was a brand new mother and she had uh, an infant son. And while she was in jail, her mother-in-law came uh, and bribed the jailer so that she could nurse her infant son while she was in jail. Of course, her, her mother is telling her that you need to, you know, deny Christ and get out of there. Then, then her father came and he was extremely agitated because why don't you just, just admit and just offer some incense to the emperor or to one of these pagan deities and just get out of here. Then she wouldn't do it. And then, uh, 
it came time for the trial. And during the trial, they were very serious about her monotheism and acting like there was only one God. And of course, these other pagan deities are true gods. And what is wrong with you? And we aren't saying that you have to deny your God altogether, but you need to worship the emperor. You need to worship these pagan deities too. And she wouldn't do it. And her father was just incensed about it. And and even the prosecutor was incensed because she was a beautiful woman. She had this beautiful baby and she's going to die. And then they threatened her. We're going to put you in the arena and we're going to let wild animals tear you to pieces unless you deny the Lord. And she wouldn't do it. And so when the time came of her execution, she was led out into the arena and there she was standing in the arena and her father in one last ditch effort held up her baby and said, this is your child. Do not, you know, leave him. He needs you. You're his mother. Um, Deny the Lord and save yourself so you can raise him. She wouldn't do it. Imagine that kind of pressure. And so they released a wild bull who came out, tossed her around a little bit and uh, tore her clothes. So she got up and she didn't want to be immodest. And so she tucked in her shirt and fixed her hair. And the bull then just kind of raged around her, but it wouldn't attack her. Something was it was like there was a protection. There was kind of strange and um, just by chance. And uh, so. The bull wouldn't attack her. And so they sent out a soldier to cut her down. And so the soldier came and he was so scared because she was so calm and so beautiful and just standing there. You know, she didn't have a sword and wasn't going to battle with the guy. She just stood there that he was kind of just like jabbing her a little bit. And so she said, let me help you. So she grabbed the point of the sword and put it on her heart and said, push now. And he killed her. Because she wouldn't deny the Lord. Now, that kind of um, pressure when you're looking at your baby boy and your mom's crying to you and your husband's crying to you and your dad's crying to you and the people, even the prosecutor who convicted you is saying, just deny the Lord. That is some heavy pressure. And Paul's saying, listen, I'm trying to spare you. When you're single, you can live for the Lord and die for the Lord. You're the Lord's. You get married, you get children, you've got a whole bunch of other people you've got to care for and you're worried about, and I'm, there's huge temptations to deny the Lord. Third, you need to understand the times. Not only is singleness good, not only is marriage good, marriage does have troubles. Paul's trying to spare us, but we need to understand the times. Look at verses 29 through 31. But this I say, brethren, the time has been shortened. You say, well, what does that mean? The time has been shortened. Well, there's a couple options. He's either saying that Jesus is going to be here any day now, so don't get married because, you know, right when you're going down the aisle, you'll be raptured up and it'll be over. Um, and then what? All those plannings, all that preparation, all that preoccupation um, with all that stuff was for not. Or he could be saying that, you know, um, you know, the end of the world is is about ready to happen with this second coming. And so the time is kind of shortened as far as in the, the last time stuff or, or this, that that human lives are shortened. You say, well, well, what do you mean by that? Well, try and get this here. Picture in your mind a timeline. Okay, and let's just say that, you know, from right here 
is when your life begins and right here is when your life ends. And then that way, forever, never ending, is eternity after death. Okay, you have this peace, this lifespan, which before the flood, people lived eight, nine hundred years, you know, Methuselah almost made it to a thousand. So if you got married, you could do the marriage thing and have plenty of time to serve the Lord, right? But now, as Psalm 90 verse 10 says, as for the days of life uh, of a man, they contain 70 years or due to strength 80 years. Yet their pride is but labor and sorrow for soon it is gone and will fly away. Your life is like a vapor, the scriptures say. It's like the grass which appears for a little while and it is gone. And so we have a very quick lifespan and you're thinking, okay, you make 70 years. Here's your 70 year shot. And, you know, the first years you're just trying to try to figure out how to get your act together. And then you get married and you have this short time period left. The time is short that you can actually be married. After you die, you're not married anymore. There's no marriage or given in marriage in heaven. So you're not married anymore. So you've got this time. And if you get married, what happens when you're married? Well, you think about your wife. You think about your husband. You think about your kids. You think about your house. You think about all these things, which he's going to explain in a little bit. And what are you missing out on? When you die, what can you do better in heaven? Everything pretty much, right? Worship better, pray better, fellowship better, never sin. There's only one thing you can do better here that you can't do in heaven at all. And what is that? Evangelism. Yeah, when, when, when the eternal state comes, the number of saints is going to be fixed. No one's getting in. No one's going to be added. No more sinners saved by grace. It'll be a fixed number. And so during your little short, vaporous span of grass life, you've only got a certain amount of time to serve the Lord and to impact the church by evangelism and equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry for more evangelism that happens during a very short time and if you get married you're going to be taking a lot of energy a lot of mental thought a lot of resources and putting them towards something which isn't going to happen over here which is not going to add to the souls being saved it's going to be lost and that's what he means the time is shortened And I just want you to understand that when you're thinking of getting married, it's not all a fix for everything. It's going to distract you from the Lord. And that is why he says what he does. If you look at the middle of verse 29, where he says, so that from now on, those who have wives should be as though they had none. That's a scary statement, isn't it? And those who weep as though they did not weep and those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice and those who buy as though they did not possess and those who, who use the world as though they did not make full use of it. And you say, well, what is this? Should you know all Christians get divorced or Christians you know, who are married, should they neglect their wives? I mean, what is he saying here? He's saying this. The big thrust of the whole section is serve the Lord. I don't want you getting married and stop serving the Lord. You've got to serve the Lord. Granted, you still need to do all the commands to you as a husband or all the commands as a wife or a parent. You still need to do all those commands. But you also need to still serve the Lord. Do not neglect serving the Lord. So if, if you have a wife, be as though you had 
no wife in that you keep serving the Lord. And then he mentions several other things. Weeping. You know, think about what happens when someone dies and just how that is consuming the loss and the grief and, and how you can be so burdened by trials in your life and maybe depressed or whatever. And you just don't, you just don't feel like serving, do you? He says, listen, if you're sorrowful, if you're weeping, act like you aren't. Keep serving the Lord. And think about rejoicing. How, you know, you can have some, you know, incredible thing happen, huge promotion, and you're talking and celebrating and parties and everything's great. Your business is exploding. And yet think about how all that celebration and rejoicing can distract you from what? Serving the Lord. So rejoice as if you did not rejoice. And then what about buying? Oh, materialism is huge. You don't get the car and get the clothes and get the shoes and get the new widget and the gadget and the whatever. I mean, we have so many things that we can consume with in our life that we can just, we're consuming, 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 and we're not consumed with what? Serving the Lord. So don't let it happen to you. Don't let those things distract you from serving the Lord. Live, whether you're married or single, whether you're rejoicing or weeping, whether you're buying or not, with undistracted devotion to the Lord. Keep serving the Lord. Keep serving the Lord. That is his whole thrust here in this section. Keep serving the Lord. And then he says, why? Verse 31, for the form of this world is passing away. It's all passing away. I want you to know, you know, you, you make use of the world. Okay, may, you have to make use of it, but don't obsess on it. You like to hike, then hike. You like to camp, go camp. You like to travel, then travel. But I'm telling you, don't make it your God. Don't, don't stop serving the Lord and obsess of this world and the things of this world because it's all passing away. You go to Yosemite and go, oh, how beautiful. That is a sin-cursed place. You go to Yellowstone Park and you look in the forest that were burnt with fire and they have all these beautiful gray poles of trees and green grass and yellow buttercups and it's just like, it is so awesome with big waterfalls and crystal clear places and springs and geysers. It's cursed. The world is going to be so much better later. The whole form of this world is passing away. Your marriage, it's gone. The other side, it's gone. Everything's going to be defixed. Your children are either going to be saved or lost. People are going to be saved or lost. They're going to be worshiping the Lord then. This whole world is going to be burnt up. The elements are going to pass away with a roar. And so don't be obsessing on these things that are passing away. Yeah, you got to use them. You know, we need cars and things and houses and clothes and all that stuff, right? But don't do it to the neglect of the Lord. Don't be, let them become an idol. Don't let them get in the way of you serving the Lord. Now, especially if you're single, don't waste your singleness. Don't waste your singleness. Four, have undistracted devotion to the Lord. Look at verse 32. Paul says, but I want you to be free from concern. Paul just says, listen, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to help you. I'm just trying to like relieve a burden here. The burden is marriage, children, being parents, being husbands, being wives, it's a burden. It's a burden, man. When I'm out and about, I see husbands weeping because of wives and 
Wives, because of husbands and single moms and single dads and that burden that that is. And you know what? If you commit to marriage, you're going you're to be volunteering for burdens, lots of burdens. And you might want to think if you're just not really feel like you need to be married and maybe just stay single. Maybe that's good for you. Look at the middle of verse 32. The one who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord and how he may please, his, please the Lord. But the one who is married is concerned about the things of the world and how he may please his wife and his interests are divided. I mean, you know, if you're a single guy and, you know, your dishwasher breaks. It's like, it's okay. I don't have any dishes anyways. I eat out every night. And if I ever eat in, it's out of a can. I put it on a paper plate and eat it with a plastic fork. You know, I mean, you just like, big deal. I, I go around to different married people's houses and eat food off of people in the church, you know. I mean, it just doesn't, it doesn't bother me. Okay, but if you have a wife and you have three kids and you get a huge mound of dishes every day, and it's like, yeah, I should probably get a dishwasher. See, those kinds of things happen. And it's just the way it is. It's not a sinful thing. It's just the way it is. And so he says, I'm just trying to free you up from concern because, you know, the, the guy who's married, he, his interests are divided. And the key word there in verse 34 is divided. If you're married, you're divided in serving the Lord and serving your wife. And if you have children, children. Not just serving your wife and children. Divided between the Lord, your wife and your children. And then he talks about wives and virgins. He, or he says this, the woman who is unmarried and the virgin is concerned about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy in both body and spirit. And the one who is married, you have the wife here, is concerned about the things of the world and how she may please her husband. Of course she is. She wants to be a good wife. She wants to keep house. She wants to be a good mom. She wants to obey the scriptures. And... Marriage gets in the way. I mean, when I was single, I remember how it was, man. I was just all over the place. I was like a boat motor with no boat. I mean, I was just going for it, man. I was like in the singles group over here and teaching a Bible study over here and Sunday school over here and helping people move and doing this and doing that. I just went out. People would call me at all times like, oh, yeah, I'll show up. I don't need to sleep. I'm young. I'll get over it. You know, get up early, stay up late. Man, you're just all over, just going for it. And then when I met my wife, then things changed. All of a sudden that whole relationship started, you know, very consuming for a couple months. And then we got engaged and shortly thereafter we're married. Now, I remember one time walking, my wife and I were going for a walk. And this verse popped into my mind and I finally understood what Paul meant. I was walking and I just like, his interests are divided. He who is married has his heart set on the things of the Lord and the things of the world. So he may please his wife. I was thinking, so that's what that means. Because I was kind of feeling guilty. Because, you know, when I was single, I just did what I want. You know, you don't have to check in when you're single. You know, checking in is an art. And uh, all you young husbands, you have to learn the art of checking in. And uh, it's easier today with cell phones. But back then there wasn't a cell phone. So sometimes, you know, I do things and, and I wasn't trying to be malicious or anything. My little wife is home. She's got dinner going and the house is just right. And, you know, I get off work and I think, oh, yeah, I'm going to, you know, go over here and do an errand. I meet some guy and talk and, yeah, I can come over to your house and help you wire your hot tub or whatever. And I go over there and pretty soon it's 830 or 9. I come walk in the house. Where have you been? 
It's like, what? I was just, I was doing that. I said, didn't check in. I realized, man, I need to check in. I need to come home. I got a wife who made dinner for me. You know, I got to show up. I got to be there. I got to get permission. I got to talk to her. I got to ask, you know, can I do this? Is this okay? Do you want to do this? You know, all of a sudden I'm another person. I am now one with this other person. I'm not single anymore. I'm one with another person. And so that then causes me to use a lot of mental energy and resources to constantly make sure I live with my wife in an understanding way and love her as Christ loved the church by giving himself up for her. And when I was single, I never did that. But now I realize, so that is what it meant. And it's okay. Paul says it's okay. It's okay to have divided entrance, but it's not okay to switch. Serving the Lord as a single, now serving your wife and kids as married. That is not good. That is to sin. That is wrong. A lot of times when people get married, they just kind of obsess on their marriage. You know, they think, okay, now that we're married, let's start saving. Let's get furniture. Let's get refrigerators and freezers and cars and a house. And, you know, their whole life, all their energy, all their resources. It's not serving the Lord. They're like pouring into things that will be gone in the life to come, have no eternal import. It's not that those things are bad, but it's bad if they cause you to neglect serving the Lord. My wife and I discovered early on, you know, I was kind of feeling this kind of throttled back thing and I need to learn how to love my wife. And we slowly became more of a team. We got to know each other. We knew our strengths. We knew our weaknesses. I thought, you know, she would say things. Oh, I don't mind doing dishes. Like, really? Oh, good, good. Um, and uh, I'd say, well, I don't mind changing the oil in the car. She'd go, you don't? Oh, good, good. And so, you know, I love yard work. Oh, I don't really like that, but I don't mind dusting. Okay, you dust and I'll do this. And so we begin to work together as a team more and more. And I'm telling you, now I can do, I think, way more ministry now that we have grown so close together than I could when I was single. I I rarely have to cook. I love cooking, but I rarely do. I rarely do laundry. You know, I vacuum, do some dishes sometimes. I'm telling you, my wife takes care of me. I mean, things instantly appear in my closet. Food instantly appears on the table. You know, and when I come home, I go, well, I got an opportunity to do this. Go do it. Get out there and preach. Keep preaching. And it's like, well, you know, I'm kind of tired now. I've got a lot of comments. Oh, it won't kill you. Get out there. You know, <laughs> I said, get out there. She's freeing me up to do ministry. Now, when I was single, I had to do all, all that stuff myself. And now I have a helper, a help me. And she is encouraging. And the same way goes with her. As she has learned to do that, she's freed up. She figures out, okay, this is how I'm going to do my schedule so I can write my Bible study, so I can meet with women, so I can disciple women, so I can do things. And so we have worked together. If she has to like speak at a women's thing, we start in advance. I say, okay, well, you know, get your outlines done and let me look at them and keep going and I'll give you these chunks of time and I'll take the kids away and we'll cut you some time out. Why? So she can get her stuff done so she can minister. So we're doing that. And believe me, when our kids go, we're not retiring. We're going to do more ministry. We can't wait to do more ministry. We can't wait to get those things out of the nest. <laughs> get out of the nest. We had some baby birds outside, two of them in a little bush. First, one little group was in there and they came and the mothers, you know, and father slowly got them out and out they came. 
And, uh, and then what happened to the, they just went somewhere else. You know, it's like, yeah, we're, we're free. Um, empty nester, you know, don't think of empty nest as, yeah, time to retire from ministry. We've obsessed on our family and now we get to retire. No, no, no. You serve the Lord. You grandparents, no, there's no dying to ministry before you die physically. You die in the ministry or from the ministry. (laughs) You do what Whitfield did when he was old and the elders just read a little while ago about him as he's, he's preaching and preaching and he's getting old and he's tired and he's sickly and he's, it's raining and it's cold and he assembles and there's like 20,000 people who have gathered and he preaches to them and he can barely preach. And so he prays and, and God gives him strength and he just delivers this incredible sermon on, uh, you know, I forget what it was. It was Second Corinthians thirteen five. That's what it was. Examine yourself to see whether you be in the faith. And then he gets on his horse and he rides. He hasn't had anything to eat. He rides to the next town. They all want him to preach there. So he prays again. He preaches to them. And then he goes in the house. He's wet. He's tired. He's worn out from preaching, from riding his horse. And he's walking up the stairs and somebody asks him a question. He's got a brand new candle, you know, and a candlestick holder. And he's holding it and he turns around. And he starts talking. And pretty soon he starts preaching and he preaches and he preaches. And he preaches the candle all the way down to the socket, goes upstairs and dies. Yeah. I mean, who wants to say, well, I died in front of the TV. Die in the harness. Serving the Lord. And so whether you're married or you're single, the whole point is maintain undistracted devotion to the Lord. Look at verse 35. This I say for your own benefit, not to put a restraint upon you, but to promote what is appropriate and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. Notice he says, I'm not trying to restrain you. This word means to to literally to ensnare to capture, to put a noose around you. He says, listen, I'm not trying to like, you know, tie your hands and, you know, make it so you, you have to do like one little narrow path. I don't care if you take the path of singleness. I don't care if you take the path of marriage, marriage of one kid, two kids, or 10 kids. Um, it doesn't matter. I'm not trying to restrain you. He says, but I do want to promote what is appropriate, what is honorable, what is respectable. And he says to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. And this is such a cool word, this word undistracted. Do you remember when we talked about Mary and Martha and how Martha was in there, you know, pulling her hair out, running around and Mary was sitting at Jesus feet and and Martha was like, why don't you help me? You know, type of thing. And do you remember what Jesus said? Martha, Martha, you are so distracted this word with the negative in front of it martha was distracted this word undistracted distracted with a knot to be undistracted in your devotion to the lord that's what we are to all strive for so the question is are you doing that let's say you're married right now are you serving the lord Christ wants you to serve the Lord. You're not going to be able to serve as much as a single, but you need to serve. Wives, husbands, you need to serve. Moms, dads, you need to serve. And if you're empty nesters, you really need to serve. Your senior citizens, you really need to serve. Oh, you're finally freed up to serve the Lord more. 
And if you're single, go for it. Missions trips, become a missionary. Go for it. Go to schools, teach classes, serve. Think of church as like the hub of everything you do. Be absorbed in it. I do this with church stuff. I do this with this ministry. I do this with this ministry. I just am consumed and just entangled and thinking about and doing stuff. The church is my undistracted devotion. That's what it's about. That's the whole point here. I mean, all you got to do is just be like Elijah or Elisha or Jeremiah or Jesus or Paul. You know, some of those guys who did ministry as singles. And even if, even if God has marriage for you in the future, be like David before he was married and married and married again. Um, you know, I mean, think about it. He wrote all those Psalms while he was shepherding sheep. He went out there. He slew Goliath. I mean, he was, he wasn't some idle single. He was going for it. I mean, you think, well, what kind of ministry is there out there in the field watching animals eat grass? Songwriting. And we're still being blessed by him, right? Yeah. He didn't want sitting around going, I have a wife. I wish some prophet would come by and anoint me to be king. I mean, you know, he wasn't doing that. He didn't even know what was happening. And so you who are singles, man, go for it, man. Be absorbed in serving the Lord and don't be all caught up in what God hasn't given you. He's given you a huge gift and that huge gift is to have undistracted devotion in really serving the Lord. And you will probably discover as you start getting up some speed in serving the Lord that God might just ambush you with your Prince Charming or your princess. And then you realize, ooh, okay. Then if you have a choice, you can get married, but you still got to serve. Don't let your marriage, don't let your husband, don't let your wife, don't let your kids become idols. And you neglect the Lord. Everybody serves. It's just singles can do it more. And that's why in some respects it's more expedient. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this text and what we were able to learn, not only about singles, but married people. Marriage is a great thing. Singleness is a great thing. We need to consider our times, consider the time we have, that life is short, that Father, you have put us here in this place for a very short time to do ministry for you, whether we are married or not. And may each of us be faithful to do that. Whatever part you have for us, may we play that part. And Father, I just pray that all of the singles here would not feel like less than, but they would look at us poor married people as they serve the Lord with undistracted devotion and say, I'm glad I'm not distracted like that right now. And Father, may you give them joy and give them peace and give them fruit as they serve you and build up for themselves treasures and eternal rewards that cannot be taken away. And for those who are married, Father, we pray that you would give them fruitful ministries also at home and at church and at work, and wherever you put them, so that the whole body of Christ can all be ministers, all be serving, so that we can have that undistracted devotion to you. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.